You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. God bless you, get woke. Folks, MIP is now COVID free, meaning free to all subscribers as we navigate this pandemic. We're thinking about everyone and we've got to get through this together. So for a limited time, no fee to subscribe to make it plain on your favorite podcast app. Ladies and gentlemen, very, very special guest today and a very dear brother. We have done a lot together over the years, even going back to the 90s when Senator Richard Shelby in Alabama imposed a death penalty uh, initiative on the ballot in Washington, D.C. Um, and we helped to organize to defeat that. Um, and so many things, obviously, too. He's been president of the NAACP. We worked together closely during that time, but he has been a consummate activist and organizer. He now heads a great organization that's been doing also great work for a number of years, People for the American Way. No strange at all. My dear brother, Ben Jealous, joins us on Make It Plain once again. Hey, brother. Hey, good to see you, Mark. Good to be here. You too, and, and glad to have you here. Ben, you know how we roll. I want to get right to the chase. You all have a Defend the Black Vote initiative at People for the American Way. So that, you know, lets us know that the organization definitely has your signature on it. But Ben, I'm telling you, man, black men have been so hyper-targeted for disinformation and mechanized disinformation. I'm, I'm a little worried 
brother. Yeah. I know the majority of black men aren't going to vote um, for Donald Trump, but so many black men are being, you know, disinformed not to vote yeah. at all. And for yeah. brothers like you and me, and I've been talking to brothers, um, it's sort of a quandary. You know, how do we, what can be said to bring it back? Brothers say, you know, Mark, ain't nothing changing for me. Which in some instances, in, in some people's immediate circumstances is, is very true. So brother to brother, man, what, what are we, what can we do about that to bring black men back into the fold who have been discouraged from voting at all? On the other side of this election, we've really got to lean into figuring out how we create pathways to real to, to real employment for brothers who have been locked up. The, we've been too patient for too long. And it's not that there hasn't been a fight or that folks haven't tried to break through, but you look at the way in which things are unraveling for working people during this COVID crisis, you know, you've got to, in a, in a moment like this, really put big ideas forward mm -hmm. uh, for how we transform things. When it comes to the election, disinformation is a real issue and the targeting of people online. You, know, you look at all the, the documentaries and reports and what Russia did in the last election, the way that they targeted the black vote, it's, it's profound. And it's, and it's impact in many places have been real. We have people for, who historically have helped run souls to the polls. Um, this year, you know, souls to the polls was like a church bus, like COVID slash three of the tires. You had one tire, but you'd just be driving around a circle if you tried to drive that bus. And so we decided um, to try something new. And the, and the whole idea behind defend the black vote is the best way to defend the black vote, at least until the election, is to vote, um, you know, is to turn out, is to uh, override those who would seek to short circuit the vote in our community. The way that we're doing that is through a massive peer-to-peer -peer texting operation. I just got a report that yesterday we texted 330,438 black men on about a dozen states. Mm. The, we will hit uh, a universe of about 2 million of them multiple times, um, making sure they have a plan to vote, they, they know how to vote, they know how to process their, their ballot. We just had to just take a technological leap you know, way beyond what we had done historically. That's allowed us to be more precise, to really use the voter rolls to, to target black men almost exclusively. Sisters are just a, a bit ahead of us. You know, they now vote at a higher rate than white men. You and I have been part of efforts going back to, to Jesse's campaigns that helped to increase that steadily. The brothers got kind of plateaued. And and so we're, we're leaning into that trying, because, you know, if you look at, Stacey Abrams race or Gillum's race and their race for governor was different than mine. They were up against challengers. I was up against an incumbent, but right. their races could have easily been decided just simply if black men, you know, like they would have won if black men had turned out uh, the same rate that black women turned out. So, you know, that's the challenge that's in front of us right now. We're, we're trying to help solve it. That's you, brother. 
that's that's how Ben operates, brother. Folks with the with the technology, because that's really where it's at, and that's how people are communicating with one another. You know, via their phones, via texting. So you're right, that peer to peer piece. A lot of people don't get that, but Ben jealous has always gotten that. I tell people, y'all need to do what Ben jealous does. Some folks don't listen and don't work out, but <laughs> but and you know, I've, I've I've done that over the years, Ben. So. Um, defend the black vote. So it sounds like you all are actually going directly at voters that you've researched and found and trying to be sure they're engaged. Is there any um, opportunity or mechanism for those voters to respond directly? Yeah, no, we, we asked them a series of questions to elicit a response, make sure they have a plan. We also are calling through, like last night in Georgia, we called 80,000 Black men on the voter rolls to invite them onto a town hall, a tele-town hall that we were running. Um, and I don't know, we probably got 4,000 of them on the call before the call was over. Um, the, uh, and so we're, you know, we're steadily creating ways. Um, to engage those men and to do it in a COVID safe way, to do it in a targeted way to make sure, you know, frankly, we're focused on it. Like, like if you're a brother, one of the states that we're operating, you're like, well, why haven't they called me? It's probably because we know that you vote regularly. We're focused on black men who are unlikely voters. Right, right. And that's what's important. Some of the states, well, you all have, have targeted 15 states, correct? 15 states, black men under 40 who are unlikely voters, we're now going up to black men under 50 and, and the ones who are on, uh, for whom we have phone numbers on the voter roll. So yeah. that's, that's, that's how we do it. And, and we're in every single brother who's like under 50, unlikely voter and has a cell phone number tied to the voter roll. And you've also, uh, last night, oh, Georgia was not the first teletown hall you've had. You're gonna be doing those regionally. Yes, yeah, yeah, and across these states. And, you know, Georgia, the good news was a 90, you know, it's one of those things where you say, well, press one if you have a plan to vote, plus two if you don't. Last night, 98% of the people uh, who responded had a plan to vote. And so then, it, you know, when they get on the calls, um, then, it's, then, you, then we're really talking to them about arrive with five, make sure that you, you know, call five friends, that they got a plan to vote. I mean, black men really got to, understand the, the unutilized power that we have in our elections and therefore in our society. And that's, you know, in my family, as in yours, you know, we've been involved for generations in that. And it's so easy to see what would be possible if we just really turned out. I mean, again, Gillum less, lost by less than a point, Stacy lost by two. Uh, could have easily been decided by black men turning out uh, at the rate of black women. So that's that's what we're focused on. And that gives us another way of making the case. You know, people say, well, my vote doesn't make a difference. Well, it would. You would have had a black governor in Georgia and a black governor in Florida. And let's face it, you know, we talk about the police issue of, you know, the police demic we've been in. A lot of these attorneys general, including the one in Kentucky, is an elected official. 
so it's not just the presidential either, as I'm sure you've been encouraging people. It's it's up and down the ballot, isn't it? Yeah, no, no. I mean, it is. And it's look, the, the presidential could be decided by black men in Wisconsin, for example. Mm. Uh, Trump, I think, won Wisconsin by like 20,000 votes, Michigan by maybe 10. Uh, Pennsylvania, I think, was 30,000. I mean, I got, but the whole, all of those three states together were less than 80,000 votes. And um, and there's at least that many brothers who didn't vote in each one of those states. And so that's the thing is really help black men understand, you know, when you're in the neighborhood, a lot of folks, you know, talk about kings and queens and, you know, just sort of their own personal power. You, right. you have the power to decide who's president, like basically who's emperor. And so um, that's tremendous power. And it could come down to one state like Wisconsin or Ohio or Pennsylvania or Michigan. And, and so that's what we're focused on is really helping people understand it's the tremendous power that we have. Now, once the election's over, then we got to focus on making sure that every vote's counted. And what the Republicans are, are, are lining up to do is concerning when they really want to contest everything. Yeah. The, um, you know, so that's, um, but we just got to walk through this stage by stage. You all, um, I know, have also been informing the public about voter suppression. Um, and that's why we, we've got to make sure that every vote is counted after uh, November 3rd. Um, are there some specific things that you're most concerned about when it comes to voter suppression this cycle, Ben? I think, you know, the number one thing I'm focused on right now is the misinformation about vote by mail. Vote by mail works. Vote by mail is one of the, one of the most fraud-free ways to vote. That's why Donald Trump does it repeatedly. Donald Trump wants to convince people that because they got a good Republican governor in Florida, everything's okay in Florida, but it's not okay anywhere else. That's why he can do it. Well, I mean, if that's your litmus test, I don't think it should be, but there's like 33 states with Republican governors. Like, vote by mail mm. you know, works, and Donald Trump's attacks on it don't make any sense, except for the fact that vote by mail makes it easier for people to vote. And he's worried. He's worried that um, more people voting will be bad news for him. But let me tell you this, the bad news about that is when you switch from voting the traditional way at the polls to a new technology for voting, which requires people to operate in a different way, the people who did do it tend to be folks who are most familiar, most in touch with that new technology. Right. And when new technology is the male, well, then it tends to privilege people who are older, because the older you are, the more likely you, you know, do a lot of business through the male, um, and who are more stable, who are wealthier, who don't move every six or 12 months. And, and that means it tends to privilege more conservative voters. So we really want, you know, now within a couple of cycles, everybody else catches up, but you ain't got a couple of cycles you know, to decide who's president next. Like that, you you got to do right now. So that's why, why it's one of the reasons why we're spending so much energy is we want people's vote to count now. We don't want them to wake up the day after election day and be like, oops, you yeah. know, quite got to that whole vote by mail thing. Yeah. Um, isn't it also the case that one of the main arguments is to vote and to remain engaged is taking place with these hearings right now. I mean, if if 
if, you know, I remember in 2016, it was really hard to get people to focus on the court. Okay. And the courts, plural. Vote, you voted for the courts. That didn't catch for whatever reason. With this hearing and him trying to, Trump trying to ram this nomination through, is it is it catching now? Do you feel people are getting it? That this is also about the courts? And, and you know, the mainstream media is trying to get Biden to respond to court packing. Ben, they've been the ones court packing. Uh, <laughs> let's be real about it. Oh, real good. I was saying that at the debate. Yeah, no, they, they're they're real good at flipping the script. Yeah. Uh, Trump is putting over 205 judges. Uh, the way that this was possible was that Mitch McConnell um, bottlenecked Obama's appointments to the to the bench, made it very hard. So that the next president came in, had a, a, a massive kind of backlog of vacancies to fill, including on the Supreme Court, right? Where this time four years ago, they were saying, no, 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 no. We can't push through a nominee. Um, it's the last year of Obama, and we've got to let the, the, the people's will be reflected, so it must be the next president. And then, of course, they won the, the presidency, so, so here we are. But now here we are. It's the last six months of a presidency, and in all of American history, when a vacancy has occurred, it's been three or four times, they've always allowed it to wait to the next election, you know, after the election, after the inauguration. And they're violating every principle they espoused four years ago and pushing this through and just using their raw power to do it. And what we're talking about, folks, is what's absolutely at stake. You're like, well, what, you know, what does it matter? What it matters is whether or not you have health care coverage. Mm-hmm. Because on November 10th, the reason that they, they're pushing this so hard, on November 10th, there is an argument on the future of the Affordable Care Act. Amy Coney Barrett has been clear that she is a foe of the Affordable Care Act. Donald Trump made a litmus test. I'm not gonna nominate you if you can't assure me that you're gonna destroy the Affordable Care Act. You destroy the Affordable Care Act, all of a sudden that 20, you know, four-year-old, 25-year-old, you know, adult child, you're carrying your health insurance is off your health insurance. All of a sudden, if you have, you know, if you're a cancer survivor, you got a chronic illness, you may lose your health insurance because they will get away the coverage for pre-existing conditions. Say, well, you know, Donald Trump issued an executive order, it doesn't matter, that's not law. Not like the law that they'll destroy. And so literally, in the middle of a health pandemic, they are pushing through a judge to strip health care for millions of Americans. And you know what? It cuts across every line, race, party, geography. Uh, this is this is just a profound attack on the health care of the American people. Yeah. Large. yeah, no question about it. Are you feeling that the Defend the Black Vote campaign is is uh, successful and that you're reaching some of these black men and... Yeah, you know, we see it from the responses. It's kind of incredible to get a report of a text campaign because you literally just get thousands upon thousands upon thousands of responses from brothers, you know, all over these 15 states, which are basically a crescent that essentially runs from Wisconsin to Louisiana um, down the East Coast. And yeah, they're getting it. Um, you know, my look, my hope is that our people take hope from the darkness. You know, my grandma turns 104 a week after the election, mm. granddaughter of slaves. She's literally descended to Thomas Jefferson's grandmother by her other grandchildren that were her slaves. Mm. And my grandma, you know, as many things, she was a social worker, she 
trained a younger social worker named Barbara Mikulski. She worked for Planned Parenthood in the 40s. She's a third generation member of the NAACP. Uh, helped Juanita Mitchell when she ran the branch in Baltimore. She's also a farm girl. And she would always you know, say, look, you know, you can learn a lot about politics from the natural world. One of those that's always darkest before the dawn. And it's in the black of that dark that you get up to, to prepare for the dawn, mm-hmm. you know, to, to do the hard work, to get ready for the hard work when the dawn comes. And that's what we need to be doing right now. We need to understand that, yeah, the Republicans are, are acting like Fox backed into a corner. And yet, what you learn if you've ever backed a fox into a corner is when the fox latches out is about is just before you're about to win. <laughs> and that fox's whole world's about to change. And so again, you know, you we can't afford to be dispirited by these antics, by these voter suppression tactics, even by the kind of relatively frustrating or depressing situation we're in. What's about to happen in this century is that white supremacy will end as the OS for our democracy. No longer uh, will one group be able to dominate elections in the nation or even in a state. We're all rapidly approaching the point where every group's gonna have to get along demographically with at least one other group to succeed democratically. And that's one of the things that concerns me about the Democrats, quite frankly, is they simply seem to be asking, like, are we winning the blacks? Are we winning the women? Are we winning the Latinos? Without really inquiring by how much. Mm-hmm. Content to get 51% is the easiest way to fail because you got a whole patchwork of demographics, if you will. When the presidency, if you're a Democrat, you should have 70% or above of the Latino vote. Biden's mm-hmm. running at about 60. Uh, when the presidency, you should have you know, 90, 96, 95, 92% of the black vote. With black men, Trump's running at about 15, 16% some polls. And, and that's a problem because that means Biden's run like at 80, you know, 82, 83, 84. What you see from Trump who's been outspending Biden 10 to one on, for instance, Spanish language media um, is that they have the mindset of a marketer, which says, who can I sell? And if, you, if you're the product is again, who can I sell me to? Oh, well, I can sell it to this little group of black men over here and this, you know, slightly larger group of Latinos over there. And then let's sell to all of them as well as our core consumers. And so that's a one mind shift that I would say Democrats need to make is that we need to be aggressively seeking to sell to anybody who's buying, which means that you've got to fight for swing votes, even amongst populations that you don't think of as swing voters because they exist everywhere. That sounds like a 50 state strategy. Isn't that what we... Yes, it's a it's a fifty state strategy, and it's a it's a fifty state strategy, and it's a one person one vote strategy, right? It's a um, you know, and and ultimately, um, you look right now. I mean, Democrats could be winning in in Mississippi. We might eke out something in South Carolina when you look at the Senate, and it's a it's a reminder. But there's a lot of states that. Like again, the conventional wisdom says they're not competitive. They're more competitive than we realize. You know, I mean, imagine if Mike Espy had 20 million more dollars than he has right now, right. or right. Jamie Harrison. But folks wanted to convince themselves that those states were unwinnable until, you know, here we are, we're three weeks out, and people think, well, maybe we might be able to win. And they're more winnable. I mean, just to be frank about it, 
then Kentucky is at this moment. I mean, nothing's guaranteed, but but Mike's numbers look better than the Kentucky numbers look. Right. So we should be helping Mike. I talked to Mike, uh, and he said, Mark, I just need three to four more percent of the white vote I had or he had when he uh, took it to a runoff a couple of years ago. And so Mike's thinking, which is not illogical, it was the white college student voters in Mississippi and Ole Miss and the other schools who got that flag that we've been trying to get down for a century. They got it down in two weeks after George Floyd because of who they are and because of their status and privilege. And because I was like, if I can get them to vote for me the way they moved on that flag and Cindy Hyde Smith is nothing but Confederate Cindy. It'd be a different ballgame, but you're right. You you need that money. You need something to get that done. Yeah, no, no, that's exactly right. To be really to be able to communicate and to convince people, and it's um, we haven't run a statewide race. You know, I got to the end of my race, and you know, but for ten million dollars, I mean, that was that's what it came Mm -hmm. down. That was the DGA's assessment in July. That was our assessment in October. Is that is that we were we were ten million dollars short of what we need? You're like, well, why is it so important? Because it's television that allows people to get to know you, to you know, understand you. Sure. And when you're up against an incumbent, then you can't get to 75% of the people and win. You gotta get to 100% of the people. Because right. the incumbents have way higher name rec than any challenger. And they can, you know, a Hogan in Maryland's at 100%, you know, Senator Hightsmith's probably at 100% in Mississippi. So you gotta, getting to that last 25% of the electorate is super expensive because they are the lowest information voters and they just, you know, you're not going to reach them for, for the nightly news. You gotta, right. you gotta find them, you know, you gotta advertise everywhere to find them. Yeah. And, and, and do what you're doing now in, in terms of the, the, the direct outreach. Well, since you brought it up a couple of times, Ben, folks, you all will recall Ben Jealous did run for uh, governor of Maryland. Would you do that again? I think I'll run again at some point. I got to tell you, man, you know, I'm a single dad. So I've got a really, I got like an eight-year-old and a 14-year-old. And you know what that's like. Yeah. Like you, you've, you've got to constantly be asking yourself, not only do I have it in me, but do my kids have it in them? And are we all going to be okay on the other side? Yeah. Uh, my son to me, my, my son's generally been opposed since the last election. But the other day, a poll came out that showed me leading here in Maryland in the horse race for the Democratic nominee for for governor, I mean, it's it's way early. Nobody's declared. It's all right. Connected. And I said, "Well, what do you think? You think Dad? You think I run again?" He said, "Well, you're working so hard as it is. Maybe you should." <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. You know, yeah, my son's so funny. I mean, it's 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 interesting. It's why we got to you know fight so hard for our sons and you know for black men and black women and our girls. You know, that's why I defend the black vote so important because like all of these kids, right? I mean. You know, they are, they are gifts from God. They got their own conversation going on. The whole question is ultimately, are we, are we creating a better world for them? Are we cultivating their talents? You know, I'll just show you, just tell you like a little dad moment. So taking my son the other night to the uh, go-kart track. Okay. And he's super excited. And I'm like, so, you know, do I win father of the year for figuring this out tonight? And he says, nah, because it's parent of the year. And I said, <laughs> I didn't realize it was a competition. I thought I was giving you an easy one. He's like, oh, don't worry about it, Dad. Everybody gets a participation prize. <laughs> and I was like, wait, when the eight-year-old is clowning participa- participation trophies, like, 
who actually wants to participate in trivia? Like the eight-year-olds clowning. <laughs> that's that's wonderful. That's a wonderful story. Well, I'm I'm glad the kids are doing well. Before we go, then why don't we do this? Um, let's imagine that our listening audience right now um, is going to hear from the Defend the Black Vote campaign, People for the American Way. Walk us through the the contact, the questions you ask as if people are receiving a text from you right now. Right, so, you know, when you get a text from us, you know, we will, first thing we'll ask is, do you have a plan to vote in this election? It's a way to both remind you that you need to vote, what the date is, you know, Tuesday, November 3rd, all that, and then to make sure uh, that you have a plan. Some folks will respond to that, like, why should I vote? And then we'll, uh, the question that I'll come back to that will be, what's the most important issue to you? And they will then say education, et cetera. And then we'll ask, um, you know, then we'll respond to, well, that's exactly why you should vote. Do you need, you know, are, you know, uh, have you requested your ballot? They'll respond to that yes or no. Um, if they say yes, then we say, you know, thank you, please, you know, please remember to follow it out. And they go on a list to contact in a week or two to make sure that they follow it out. If they say no, then we give them information on how to request their ballot in their state. So it's that type of colloquy back and forth. The, um, what I'd say is this, man. You know, if we take a lesson from John Lewis, it's that, is that sometimes voting is harder than others. And no matter how hard it is, we just have to go vote. No matter what the threat is, we just have to go vote. There's too much at stake. And this election actually is the most important election. Maybe some of the other ones weren't, I don't know. But I can't imagine any election with more at stake at this one. You look at you know, the winds that are blowing, the cold winds through our community, COVID, the recession, police brutality, climate mm. change, climate change. I mean. These young folks, man, when you peel back all the other concerns, they're worried and rightfully so about the future of the planet. And all of those are at stake in this election in a profound way. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. They absolutely are. Folks, we invite you to go to pfaw.org for people for the American way to find out more uh, and get involved too. We must defend the Black vote. And of course, we're grateful to Ben Jealous's leadership and people for um, for putting this out front. This is absolutely critical. Uh, uh, state representative in Pennsylvania, Malcolm Kenyatta, I've been saying this since he came on the show. He says, he says to people who don't do politics, he says, well, politics does you. Uh, <laughs> and so when, when people are saying they're not voting, I don't want to do it. Other people are voting to get the things they want need. You can't take yourself out of that math for whatever reason. You got it. You know, Reverend Dr. Lowry, you know, mentor to you and me, would be more plain. You would say, you know, I'd be happy to leave politics out of the church if I could flush the toilet in my church without politics. But I'll tell you, it took politics to get plumbing to where my church is. (laughs) (laughs) Sure did. Everything is political. Ben Jealous, our dear friend, PFAW.org for People for the American Way. Ben, appreciate it. Defend the Black Vote.org. Defend the Black Vote.
and defendtheblackvote.org as well. Defendtheblackvote.org. Thank you, Ben. Always good to see you, Mark. Folks, very special guest on Make It Plain. Actually, I'm really, and Make It Plain itself is really a guest of his, so to speak. As obviously many of you are aware, um, MIP for over a year now uh, has existed as a part of DCP Entertainment. So MIP is on DCP. And DCP is chief executive officered by a very dynamic young man. Uh, we met um, several years ago when we were at the facility. Um, he has started and built and is maintaining his own company, which is DCP. And he invited MIP to be a part of that family. But not only has he been running the company and supporting our show, uh, if you haven't heard already, he developed and produced and curated another podcast at DCP Entertainment. Uh, he traveled around the country. Uh, and the name, I think, speaks for itself when you hear it. Say their name. Um, some of you may recall when I was emceeing the March on Washington, we ran out of time for every family that has lost a loved one to speak. And you should watch them tell them, frankly, some of them got mad at me. And I said, this is the problem that too many families have lost loved ones to police violence, that there's not enough time on one platform. But what Chris Colbert has done is give these families some time on this platform. And the good thing about podcasts is that it, it lives here. So it'll always be there for people to refer to, to get the facts, get the history, get the story. So say their name, Chris Colbert of DCP Entertainment joins us here on Make It Plain. Hey, brother. Hey, Mark. You know, thank you. That was a, a beautiful introduction. And uh, uh, I think you really touched on the uh, the real spirit of what we're trying to do with this, because I remember watching you given, you know, that uh, March on Washington speech to trying to have those families come up there. And I, I knew it was going to happen because we're, we're going to run into the same thing with our program that you just can't get to all the names. But I appreciate the work that you have done, you know, fighting for years for these families. And we hope to continue that work with this program. Well, and I, just to say a word further about you, Chris, I mean, running a company and keeping all this afloat is, is, is enough. Um, but then the way in which you took this project on and shepherded it and have made it a priority says a lot about you. You probably could have assigned it to someone else, but you did this and it speaks to, um, I believe, your uh, commitment and your empathy, you know, for what has happened to these families. So I commend you for that. 
No, thank you. And I have to give credit as well to Adele Coleman, our, our chief content officer here at DCP. You know, we both actually had this idea separate of each other um, back in before 2018. But in 2018, when we came together with this company here at DCP, uh, we decided this was going to be a major priority for us. And it, it took us a couple of years to finally get this project out and into the world. Um, but that was partially because we wanted to take our time to make sure we did this in a responsible kind of way. Um, so I can't take all the credit myself, but I, I do appreciate you saying that because it is very uh, near and dear to me on so many reasons, uh, for so many reasons outside of just being black. I just care about individuals. But again, being a black individual myself, there's these stories are reflected uh, within my own family stories of uh, encounters with the police and things like that. And so I think it's important that we let these families tell their own story, control their own narrative in a way they haven't been able to before. And I think we would all be intellectually dishonest if we did not acknowledge that mainstream media covers these stories up for a certain time, Chris. And then we hear nothing about them. And some of the people, uh, one of the earliest cases I was involved in when I was younger than you are now compared to me was the Archie Elliott case in Maryland. And we don't hear anymore about that case. We don't hear um, um, his mother, Dorothy's voice on mainstream media anymore. It's like it goes away. And then the cases we're hearing about today, in a few years, there'll be something else that happens that overshadows those. So, so this to me is, is, is a, a living gospel of you know, these individuals who walked the earth and, and, and lost their lives. Well, to the point that you just made using Artie Elliott as the case, you know, that situation happened in 1993 and you all had been and have been fighting for justice since then. And there has now just been a recent case with William Green in the PG County, Maryland, D.C. area, same area that Artie Elliott was in. That was very similar. Both cases were an individual who was uh, unarmed, handcuffed in a police car when they were shot. And this new case with William Green has been settled. This officer has been charged. Meanwhile, Artie Elliott from back in 1993, there still hasn't been any charges brought against the officers or any settlement made with the family. So it shows that, you know, though there's some improvements being made, we still need to look back at these families who have been impacted before because they're still fighting for some kind of justice. And we hope to be able to help tell those stories through them speaking about what they've been through. And I think a major piece of this, which you also touched on is, you know, as as we go through this, let, allowing the families to talk about the ongoing court battles, the financial burden, uh, the mental struggles, emotional struggles that they've been through to truly understand the day to day that they go through um, and to be able to empathize and, and hopefully then be able to get our call to action to how you can particularly as citizens help and then also looking at the big picture of the greater system as a whole policing, judicial, the media, and how that needs to change to be able to stop these from happening and to get accountability in the future. And folks, Chris Colbert did good old fashioned um, gumshoe journalism. He did not call people on the phone. He went to visit these families, correct? 
Correct. There, you know, there were a couple people that we did have to do some phone interviews with just because <clears throat> we did this in the midst of a pandemic. So some people were more comfortable with us being in person than others. Um, so every once in a while you have those phone conversations. But yes, it was important to us for us to literally travel around the country, see these communities, be in those communities, speak to these families in their living rooms, in the places that they and their past loved one either lived or in some of these situations where the incidents themselves happened. Um, so we can really truly understand what they've been through and also understand the area. So we have a better personal understanding of uh, what the ongoing impact in those communities is. Um, in particular, like when we first went to Houston, within my first day of being there, a random woman just came up to me and told me, it's crazy down here. And this is November 2019. She says, it's crazy out here. And I said to her, well, what do you mean? She goes, they're just killing black people. And she just knew instinctively to warn me as some outsider coming to Houston that I need to be careful because of what's been going on in that area. And this is, again, before George Floyd, before Breonna Taylor. You know, this has been going on so long. And, you know, it just was it really stood out to me that that was prevalent on her mind to warn me about before she even knew why I was even in town. Um, and, and I think that that's something that uh, many of us face in the different areas that we live in. It's either in, in you know, the front of our mind every day as we go out or it's in the back of our mind every time we hear a siren go off or we see somebody detained on the side of the road. And that's what we tried to bring forth to, to our audience here. Say their name um, chronicles what, about seven families? Correct. Yeah. Seven families. Each um, story has uh, two episodes to it. Each life has two episodes to it. One memorializing that individual, letting us understand who they are, who they were, what their career life trajectory was on. And then that second piece, more about the ongoing battle that the family faces. So we did it kind of in a two part that releases every Monday and Tuesday um, over these next uh, seven weeks. Yeah. So, folks, we want to invite you to check it out. Um, Will you do more? Is this something that you see yourself going forward and, and talking to even more families as time goes on? I do. And, and I'll say, unfortunately, I do. You know, I wish that we don't have these stories to be able to tell, um, but there are so many. And the, the problem that we kind of first started this conversation talking about is the one that we're going to face is that there's going to be so many stories to try to tell. How do we decide which ones to tell? Um, and, you know, we did a lot of this first season based on our own research, on some of our own initial resources like yourself and uh, Ben Crump and, and others who connected us with families. But then moving forward, these families have their own networks of mothers, of family members who've been through this, and they're connecting us with other individuals. So I think, you know, we're going to hit on more of these. I think we did a big focus just because of the the... Uh, the people who got back to us, these families, we did a lot of focus on black men. I think, you know, we want to do more on black women, on transgender uh, individuals. I think, you know, there's different regions that we haven't had a chance to hit yet. So we're going to start really diversifying some more of these people that we're talking to. Um, but unfortunately, it doesn't seem like this is stopping anytime soon. And so, you know, there's a wealth of material that we want to talk about. And a lot of them are ones that you know people don't know about on the national level and sometimes not even on the local level. And I think those are some of the most important stories to tell um, so that we get those lives, those names uh, out there into the general public. And it's been my experience, too, Chris, that part of the hard work in doing this is, you know, some families want to talk, are ready to talk, but some still aren't. They, they, they're they not there. And, and you almost have to have a, a patience with that. You know, I, I've I've learned, you know, we, we do do a show every day and we want to get 
this person's reaction. But I've I've had to to move to a place where talking to some families really has to be completely on their terms. And yep. without disclosing some, and you may have encountered some of the same one, there's some families that just don't want to talk right now. They're not ready to talk. And and it's too traumatic. And and you have to you have to get that too. I think to the audience listening, audience listening right now, um, you, everyone should should em- embrace this and take the time to do this. This is more um, than just the sound bites on the television mainstream, which really does not do the justice. And see, look how it's piled up. The sound bites of the COVID victims, that's not enough. Their stories have to be told. So we have a pandemic and a simultaneous police demic. And the greatest way to memorialize these individuals is to hear their stories. And so what our brother Chris Colbert is offering us friends through Say Their Name is an opportunity to hear the stories of those whose stories we wouldn't otherwise hear. Yeah, and I think, you know, patience is a great word. And and we tried to be extremely patient with all these families from the onset of literally just contacting them and saying, would you like to be a part of this? You know, sometimes we'd have, you know, five, six, some of these families, like 10 back and forth, just to even get the clearance for them to feel comfortable with us coming and interviewing them. And then even then, there were some families that decided last minute, you know what, we're not feeling comfortable and completely understand that. And and we, you know, want to be respectful of that. Um, But even when we do sit down with these families, we always say to them, if there's anything that we talk about, anything uh, that even you bring up that all of a sudden you're not feeling comfortable to talk about, feel free to let us know, hey, I want to move on or tell me later, hey, let's take that out. I don't feel comfortable expressing that. Um, You know, we gave them full freedom. This is, you know, yes, I'm the executive producer on this. Adele Coleman is our our host, but you're going to hear as little of us as possible because it's important to us that, you know, the stories themselves are forefront and these individuals are telling you their own experiences. And Adele and myself are there to help set them up and give them this platform and then allow them to tell you what truly happened uh, from their perspective. And to just go one step further, we, we are very biased in how we're presenting this. We're not going and talking to the police and talking to the judicial uh, systems in, in the area. Uh, if you want that, go read the police report, go, uh, you know, read the, <laughs> uh, go watch the news. Um, for us, we just didn't feel like these families have been given their own platform to control their narrative without having to worry about their words being taken out of context. And so, you know, that's why the way that we presented this um, was so important to us. Indeed. Well, um, great work, Chris, to you uh, and Adele. Folks, it's Say Their Name. The podcast is available everywhere you get your podcast. You want to find out more, go to dcpofficial.com find out more but but take some time uh, to listen folks uh, and hear the humanity in these stories um, and what some of these people have gone through um, you know we always talk about but for the grace of God there goes one of us where you can kind of hear uh about those experiences. And so we invite you to do that. Check out the Say Their Name podcast, courtesy of DCP Entertainment. Chris Colbert, brother, thank you. Thank you.
I appreciate this platform. If I could say just one last thing, if you don't mind, just uh, after you check out the podcast, even if you just check out the trailer and and, and don't listen anymore, there is a crowdfunding that is also involved with this uh, series where 100% of the proceeds that we raised throughout the series will go directly to the families that we touched on. We've asked them to open these old wounds to help educate you, educate the rest of the world. Um, and so it's only right uh, for us to be able to give back to them in some kind of way. So, you know, please donate to them as well. This is the Say Their Name Memorial Fund, folks. Uh, and that's on GoFundMe. But of course, we invite you to go to dcpofficial.com slash say their name to find out more about the GoFundMe, find out more about the podcast. Um, let's not forget these families who many of us marched for, made a lot of noise about, protested. Let's not forget them. They still need us. When the crowds go home uh, and the TV cameras go home, they still need us. And we owe it to them um, to hear their stories and share their stories. So when you listen, share it with others that you know. Hey, you all need to listen to this. You really need to see what, what is going on here and get the full story, not just the the little baby soundbite version. Say their name. DCPofficial.com slash say their name. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. Folks, it's been 25 years since the historic Million Man March. We're commemorating those 25 years. Love to have you join us Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night. Go to MillionManMarch25.com to get more information and invite the men in your life, your fathers, your sons, your uncles, your brethren. Long live the spirit of the Million Man March. God, you are our refuge. Send our ancestors to guard our doors. Cast out this virus from our communities and our bodies. Heal, bless, and protect everyone listening and their loved ones. Thank you for listening to Make It Plain and Get Woke. Remember to listen, like, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. If all minds are clear, it has been Made Plain. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. 
Click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.